NPS gives executives the excuse that they don't have to know anything else about their customers because they got their number. Hey everybody, welcome to We Need Another Meeting. I'm Josh Tolman. Sitting next to me is Mr. Kyle Jacobson, my good friend and fellow product manager. Hi everybody. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of my coworkers shared this really intriguing article about NPS. So I sent it over to Josh and said, hey, we should have this guy on the podcast. Yeah. Well, I, it turns out. I saw the title and was like, ooh, that's interesting. We got to yeah, do that. And, that's interesting. And what was even more interesting is it was who, who authored this article. It was none other than Jared Spool. Jared is a design historian and critic. He is to design what Roger Ebert is to movies, or at least that's how he described it to us. Um, and he also has very strong opinions about MPS. So thank you very much, Jared, for joining us. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. No, we, we're excited to have you. So the name of your article is Net Promoter Score Considered Harmful, and then um, What UX Professionals Can Do About It. What caused you to write this? Because when I read it, I'm like, there had to have been like some conversation or something that happened that made you go, I'm going to write an article about MPS. It oh, seems yeah. like you might have been upset. Uh, I, I was. Uh uh, this was this was there was a very long tweet storm that happened. How- NPS is the KFC of quality metrics. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what I tweeted, and that um, that got a whole bunch of likes and retweets, and then all these NPS uh, consultants came out, people who make money from from. Sure helping companies implement NPS. And then they started to tell me how I didn't know what I was talking about. Interesting. Um, so, and I was actually on a flight from London uh, and I had internet access, which I had paid for so I could get work done. And instead I spent most of the flight tweeting about NPS and it's evil. Nice. And, and, and so that, that cost me like 50 bucks. <laughs> so what caused uh, the initial uh, tweet? Like what was it that happened that made you just get – NPS is the KFC of, of, of success metrics? Well, yeah. So, so you have to read the whole tweet, right? Nothing good about it. It's, it's everywhere just, and the locals keep going there despite how unhealthy it is. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> exactly. So, so what got me to tweet the whole thing was that uh, – there was a uh, a client. There were actually several clients that I interacted with over the last few weeks mm -hmm. that were all talking about how they were using MPS. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, we I, we have to get these people out of this." And um, and so I spent time basically explaining the same things over and over again as to why this is it there. And then finally, some other client was saying. Oh, our MPS scores are, you know, we're, we're building them into our bonus system or something like that. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, and that's what caused the tweet. I'm like, it was, it was this whole sort of subtweet with this client thing of, um, uh, this thing is everywhere and nobody understands that it's bad for them. And, uh, they just keep doing it over and over. So Jared, I would like to, uh, I'd love to get into the article now, but before we do, before we go any further talking about MPS, can you briefly or maybe not so briefly describe what MPS is so that we are all just uh, very clear about what we're talking about? 
So MPS is is Net Promoter Score. It was created by a guy named Fred Reichelt back in wow. 2003. Uh, it was – he had been doing some work with uh, National Rent-A-Car, and they were trying to figure out how you could measure whether a customer would be loyal or not. So they could at least figure out if if uh, their business was engendering loyalty. So it's it's what it's what the 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 people in the marketing metrics world refer to as a loyalty satisfaction metric. Yeah. Um, and the whole idea is to is to is to try and measure whether customers are loyal. Well, since and and he wrote this article that was called "The One Question You'll Ever Need," and. The idea was by asking this one question, it's everything you need to know. Um, and you get this number, and it's a number that aggregates out to between minus 100 and plus 100. And based on that number, you can not only tell how well you're doing, but you can tell how well you compare to other organizations. And so this, 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 um, Harvard Business Review article just caught on and everybody loved it and everybody started implementing the one question you'll ever need. And uh, it's become this this thing that is built in and and nobody questions whether it's a good idea or not. They just question, they, they just, you know, it's like, what's your MPS score? And you will see resumes where people talk about how much they raise their organization's MPS score. You will see organizations talk about uh, uh, how b- executives are getting paid bonuses based on increases in MPS scores. Yeah. You will see uh, uh, OKRs and goals and other types of, of uh, uh, measurable performance objectives where increasing MPS scores is is what you need to do to get your bonus or what you need to do to, to – to do whatever it is you need to do. And uh, all of that is because uh, this, uh, because of this article. Hmm. Gotcha. Because of the first article. Yeah. Yeah. Because of that Fred Reichheld article, the one number you need to grow. Um, and also, and also like everyone, I don't know that everyone's aware, like we run into this everywhere and all the time on any website where it says, how likely are you to recommend whatever this is to a friend or colleague or whatever else? Right. Um, that's NPS. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's NPS. That's that's some variant of NPS. And of course, everybody sort of made it their own, and 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 uh, you see all sorts of sort of crazy, wacky variants. Yeah. So, what I liked uh, particularly about your your articles, Jared, was that. Like I haven't worked without MPS everywhere I've been. It's just been taken for granted. And it was one of those things that I've just never really questioned. Um, do you know, were they using any kind of, was anyone trying to aggregate experience metrics or loyalty oh. metrics before MPS? Oh, sure. I mean, people were trying to ask questions like, you know, how satisfied are you with our product? Yeah. You know, the problem with the word satisfied is it's a very neutral thing. Yeah. Right. You know, did you find this satisfactory? Satisfactory is sort of a neutral notion, right? Sure. Yeah, it was satisfactory. It wasn't exciting, but it was satisfactory. Yeah. It's it's the uh, um, if we were talking about food, the equivalent would be edible. How edible is this? Right? So, so 
how edible is this, right? So, so uh, uh, did you find the food edible today? And, and that's not a very high bar. And then you see questionnaires that have five-point scales that are like, uh, were you extremely satisfied, somewhat satisfied, neither satisfied nor dissatisfied, somewhat dissatisfied, or extremely dissatisfied? Which sounds like you're sort of getting something useful, but you're really not again because you know what's extremely satisfying. It's like, hey, was lunch extremely edible? Yes, it was extremely edible. Um, you know, again, that's that's not delicious. That's just you know the most edible I could imagine the food being. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it's not a particularly useful scale. It's not. It's not. It's not there. So people have tried that. People have tried other things. Uh, and uh, and nobody was really happy. And then, you know, this article comes out. It's printed in the Harvard Business Review. And even though the Harvard Business Review actually doesn't check or review any of the science behind any article they print, um, they assume that that the community will do that for them. Uh, they, they just went ahead and printed it. But everybody who read it thought, oh, my gosh, this this – this sounds like it would work. Let's just do it. And you know how hard is it? Just go around asking people. How, how you know how likely are you to recommend this this uh, uh, the brand yeah. right? So the, the original thing was all about the brand. So yeah. so if I work for uh, well, I do work for a company called Center Center. So uh, how likely are you to recommend Center Center to a friend or family member? And you know. I'm going to guess that if I were to ask everybody listening to this recording right now that uh, that question, they wouldn't have the slightest idea because they don't know who Center yeah. Center is. Yeah, I also don't I don't like that it's self-reported. I'm not sure they have like data that shows someone recommended like, wow, that would be valuable. Of course, that's almost impossible to capture. Well, but it, man, that'd be cool. It's worse than self-reported, right? I mean, not only is it self-reported, but it's self-reporting a possible uh, the likelihood of a of a something happening in the future true right true it's like how likely are you to go to a ball game yeah fairly likely yeah okay when was the last time you went to a ball game last summer baseball okay. that was more that's a much better yeah. question yeah. right yeah i mean you ask me how likely i'm i am to go to a ball game well i'm I'm somewhat likely, I guess. I don't know. I'd love to yeah. go to a ball game. Are you buying? Yeah, good point. Are you are you, are you buying the tickets? Because if you're buying the tickets, I'll go to the ball. That's game. a great point. So, Jared, let me ask you because I I don't know where you what you feel about personas, but I'm not the biggest fan of personas in in product and user experience and design. Kyle here will disagree with me. It's kind of an ongoing thing we've had, but I look at personas and think. Those are valuable to marketing. I just don't think they're all that valuable to product. Is NPS one of those things that it's still valuable to somebody else? It's just been misapplied to product? No. No, it's not valuable anywhere to anyone? No. It's, it's complete. Well, put it this way. I mean, I'm sure it's valuable to someone. It's valuable to people who um, uh, are actually don't care about whether the data is telling the story that the number is telling. Hmm. Uh, so let me give you an example of, of something else that's similar to this. Uh, there are people I know 
who every day, the first thing they do is they open up their horoscope and their horoscope tells them how their day is going to go. And they find their horoscope to be quite accurate because if their day is going to be a rough day, they, they turn out they to, it day. seems like they yeah. have a rough day. And if their day is going to be a good day, they go off and they have a good day. And uh, so if we were to say that those people are actually getting value from their horoscope, then we'd have to say that there are people out there who get value from NPS. So you're, so I'm um, clear. You're saying that, the, well, if you see, if, <laughs> if you see a trend of MPS going either up or down, what you're saying is that it's irrelevant. Yeah. It, it will tell whatever story you need it to tell. So if you want to use MPS to explain how good you've done a job, then your MPS score will, will help you explain that. <laughs> You'll find a way to use it to tell, to tell that story. One of the nice things about MPS, it's so easily gameable that you can get it to tell any story you want. The secondary question of an MPS is typically, hey, um, um, what could we do better? Or something similar, right? Um, when I read through those on a daily basis, what I typically see is uh, the users have a beef with two groups. One, support. Two, user experience. And so when I read this article, I thought, okay, well, well it makes sense. Like Jared's from the design world. Jared probably has been beat up over this topic uh, many times. Uh, and I, was there an experience that where you've seen designers kind of get beat up over uh, these uh, these responses? So, so to be clear, the follow-up question that tells you, you know, what what could we do better, or, or why, you know, why did you give us this score? That question is not part of the original NPS score question, right? That Remember, the NPS thing was the one question you need. Now we have two questions. We have 100% increase in the number of questions. And, and that question is a different question. That's, you know, and so you can throw away the number and still have that question. Yeah, absolutely. And if that's what you're doing, I have no problem with it, though you should know that by asking the NPS score question, you're actually biasing the outcome of the second question, the second question. Sure. And so if you want more honest answers in the second question, you probably don't want to ask the NPS score question. But so if you're if you're asking this question about what number would you tell me on a scale of zero to 10, that is the likelihood of you uh, uh, recommending me in the future. Uh, and then I throw away that number and only pay attention to why did you give us that score? That's good. That's fine. And there's a lot of really useful things in there. And one of the things you'll find if you do any detailed analysis is the sentiment that's in that question often does not match the actual number that the person gave you. No, that makes sense. So someone will give you a low score and then tell you how awesome you are or give you a high score and then tell you all the things that are wrong. So, so Jared, is there a, I don't know if, if you have like a specific um, way of measuring a user's experience or maybe an example of who, like what is the, uh, in, in, in your opinion, the ideal way to measure an experience? Well, see, this is the question I get all the time. Well, if we're going to take away MPS, what are we going to replace it with? And 
So if we take away my friend's horoscope, which she uses to figure out if she's going to meet the man of her dreams, what are we going to replace it with? We can't take it away unless we replace it with something, right? We, I mean, we could. That seems yeah. to be the logic here. Is 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 well, we have this thing that you know might be actually preventing her from finding the man of her dreams because it tells her today's not a good day to go on a date, and uh, as a result, she doesn't do the thing, or it tells her, you know, that a person who's not going to be good for her is her ideal dream date. And then she wastes her time Actually, with that I'm, person. I'm wondering so, Jen, if rather than, cause I'm not the biggest fan of self-reported data. Like if there's something else like usage or some other behavioral thing, now I realize that that's not, that's really difficult to extrapolate across um, companies or even across products within a company. Um, but have you seen others who are measuring it in some way in, in a really effective way? In your opinion, that they're that they're measuring it. No, talking about no, because for the exact reason okay. that you just said, you there is no one metric that explains what a user experience is. You can't boil it down to a number. But the so, but this isn't a user experience metric only, right? I mean, it's a yeah. customer experience. It's how did you do with support? Well, what's how did the you difference? do with sales? I mean, if if you think that user experience ends before you get to support and sales, then you have a very narrow definition of user experience, right? The user's experience is the user's experience. Now, there are users who are not customers. There are employees. Uh, uh, there are people who, you know, uh, chances are if you're in a family that has more than one person in it, one person was the customer for your auto insurance, but everybody else is a, a user of the auto insurance. If, 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 uh, 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 my spouse has a car accident. She uses my insurance. She has to call the insurance company to get the to get the, them to pay attention. So she's not, but she's not the customer because I pay for the insurance. So, uh, uh, yeah. So that happens, right? But, but I mean, that's a that's a semantic distinction: sure. customer, user, employee, uh, vendor. But those are all people who who might be using things that I've built that aren't necessarily customers. But the uh, uh, but yes, it, all of this is about experience. We're talking about experience. The whole notion of this of this number is to measure it, it was the experience that you've had with everything that we are doing such that you would recommend us to. So, Dan, let me let me ask the question. If, if, that's what True. brand is, right? Brand is the summation of all the experiences you've ever had with that organization and their products. So, Jared, let me ask the question this way. If there's um, – I, I, I can agree that there's not a single metric that we could roll up and say, here's what everybody's experience was like. Um, but let's say that I, as a product manager, I know that the um, customer's experiences within the app is critically important. And I want to try to prioritize where to work. Um, you know, where do we start? Mm -hmm. uh, I guess are there are there companies that you've seen that have a really good method for this? Again, not in not in terms of a single metric. Maybe it's an overall thing or it's a different way of they've got several different ways of collecting and understanding experience from, uh, again, from a, an aggregate in a um, quantitative rather than qualitative. Well, sure. 
let's talk about why the person bought that product or service in the first place. What is it about the product or service that 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 they wanted it to do and did it do it. Gotcha. Right. You buy a car. What is it that you want the car to do? And is the car doing it? It doesn't continue to do it. And so, um, and when it comes time to replace the car, who are you going to look at first? Sure. Uh, and so, so there's all sorts of things that are there, but you, you can't say that the way you buy a car is the same way that you buy a weather app or the same way that yeah. you buy health insurance or the same way that you choose a restaurant. And so, uh, uh, or the same way that you might choose, um, a, uh, if you work for a hospital, you might choose the radiological uh, uh, yeah. patient tracking and system. You had some good examples in your article about like airlines where you really don't have a whole lot of choices. Um, and you can be frustrated. And, and frankly, it doesn't right. matter what your experience is because you're going to still continue to buy that anyways. If there's Always. not a lot of other options or substitutes for what you're yeah. trying to do. Um, so, no, no, no. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. Particularly interested to hear you um, talk about this, Jared. I had a, a really good friend, a UX designer, who when I was starting to implement MPS and random sampling of surveys so that we had some good data that we could report on, although I guess good data, um, very subjective way to describe that data. Um, she was really smart. And what she added to the survey was a variety of descriptions of tasks and then asking the user how successful they are at accomplishing those different tasks. And I have found afterwards that that data is way more valuable, way more useful than just the MPS score. Like I can look at a task and say, has this, has this become easier or harder to do in the last three weeks or, or how, whatever time frame I might be looking at? Um, so it's just like a, a really kind of when I saw your article, it really resonated with that, that there are some better ways to get the answer to the questions that we have. Absolutely. I mean, that's 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 absolutely the case that the. Uh... Uh, but you can't, you won't be able to compare that to, yeah. you know, yeah. Tesla and say, yeah. oh, we're better at And every time I hear NPS, everyone talks about either Tesla or Apple. Feels like those two always come up. Right. I'm not quite sure why that is. Right. That's, because everybody wants to be Tesla or Apple. That's right. I mean, Apple has the most money in the bank of, of any company and Tesla's got a car yes. currently <laughs> on its way to jealousy. Mars. <laughs> So Josh and I, uh, to tell a fun story, Josh and I used to work together. Uh, we had a bad MPS score. It was really bad. Uh, <laughs> you personally? Nobody <laughs> would never recommend, recommend Kyle Jacobs. <laughs> Our MPS score was, oh man, what, it was like negative yeah, 60. It was, way down there. It, it was rough. Uh, and it got so bad to the point to where our... Oh, our executive staff essentially said to... It was too demoralizing. Stop tracking it. it. <laughs> It was. Uh, and of course, all of the product team uh, was using the fact that this metric was so poor to justify resources um, or additional resources to improve that experience. And uh, I, I think what happened was I just got tired Probably of hearing true. that. Uh, and 
Yeah, I wonder where their score is today. Did they actually improve it? Uh, don't know. No, they turned. Well, so Josh, we that's, turned it off. That's the no, thing, I doubt right? they improved it. I, I sincerely, I doubt they did. Yeah, because it doesn't actually tell you what's happening. It, it's just, yeah. it's just a number that doesn't. It's out of context. The way you improve it is you go and you spend time with your customers. You go out, you meet with them, you watch them use the product, you see what they're doing. I mean, asking people whether they're completing the task, that's a good start. But what's really better is going out and watching them complete the tasks because there's a chance they're completing the tasks, but it takes them 700 steps. And you look at it and you go, why do we make this so difficult to do such a simple thing? So, I mean- Jared, I want to ask you, in today's workforce, MPS um, uh, is really, it's become a very accepted practice. And what what we've been, what Josh and I have been hearing you saying uh, in this episode is that it should be. Scope. Like, yeah, no, we should be, we should just turn it we off. We should be pushing it back. It, you know, it's, you know, there was a long time where, where someone would say, you know, we, we should, we should get on a boat and just sail it in a direction until it until we can't see it anymore and people are like no the gods will kill us they will they will hurt us and everyone go okay if the gods are going to kill us we shouldn't do it and they would stop right mps is pure superstition we are running our businesses on superstition if you are comfortable with that keep using nps why do you think that that's happening? I mean, typically an MPS, the decision to utilize MPS is a decision maker and executives of, of some sort. But why are why are they wanting this? Because it's much easier to base all your problems on superstition than it is to do the work to actually find out what's really happening. It takes time. It takes resources. It takes people you probably don't have to actually do the work. And that's the problem. Uh, uh, You have to make an investment. It's cheap to ask people a question, collect a whole bunch of data and say, our score is a 42. Last week, it was a 40. Hey, let's get out a beer. It allows them to not need to get to know their customers and not need to know what's really going on. Yeah, exactly. When you, what's happening here is, it's a substitute for actually knowing your customers. NPS gives executives the excuse that they don't have to know anything else about their customers because they got their number. So I want to transition real quick just to one more thing, Jared. I know that you're really passionate about I, and, and do that with uh, my my boss here, um, our engineering, he's over engineering and product. He's been both a technology a, a developer and a product manager. Um, and he long has stated that there's uh, there's people and there's processes, and you always got to choose people over processes. And rather than implementing a process like MPS, it's better to just hire smart people who know what they're doing and know what's going on. Um, so I wanted to kind of transition to that. Do you like? Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and? And thoughts on like how we can make sure that we are hiring better talent and getting the right kind of people. Right. So well, it's interesting you bring it up that way because it turns out that what prevents a lot of companies from hiring better talent is that they actually don't have a good process for doing it. Um, so it's uh, it is a uh, people the way people hire, and particularly true in 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 the tech space, and very true when it comes to design. Uh, is they just copy the way they were hired. 
And they just sort of do the same things. And this uh, feedback loop has started where people are doing things, but they're not doing things that actually help them hire better. In fact, they're doing things that push away the best candidates. And they don't realize it because like the NPS thing, they're not getting good feedback. They're not getting good data. And as a result, they don't realize that when you have a senior candidate come in and you give them a test to see how good of a designer or a programmer they are by having them stand at a whiteboard and redesign or write some code, you're basically saying, I don't really understand what job I want to hire you for. And that makes them say, you know what? I'm not interested. If you're going to make me stand at a whiteboard and I've been leading design teams for the last five years, um, uh, you don't understand what I do. And I don't want to work for a company that doesn't understand what I do. So what we've been doing is we've been doing a lot of training and uh, workshops on how to hire uh, particularly designers. We've been focusing on designers because that's who I tend to work with is design managers and design leaders. Uh, but this stuff is all applicable to other roles in the tech space. Mm-hmm. Um, but it talks, you know, we talk about how do you review portfolios and how do you assess whether someone's got the, the skills necessary to do the specific job that you need to do. And uh, the teams that use this this intentionally designed hiring process uh, suddenly have a competitive advantage in the hiring market because they can actually hire really talented folks that other companies are pushing away in their hiring process. Yeah. How can how can people get involved with that, Jared? Uh, you, uh, we've got a new online. A uh, masterclass that's starting March twelfth called uh, HiringMasterclass.com that uh, uh, that that you go to uh, and you can find out all the information about the online workshop that we put in. Awesome, Jared. This has been a great episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We really, really, really appreciate it. It sure has. And um, tell me where where can people find you? Uh, well, right now I'm at my desk. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm on Twitter at JM Spool. So if you are interested in mm-hmm. design, design strategy, design education, uh, and uh, the amazing customer service habits of the airline industry, <laughs> and KFC, uh, that's, that's what I tweet about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also on LinkedIn as Jared Spool. I, I decided to use my real name there. And, uh, uh, and, and, uh, uh, you can find out. Uh, what we're doing at centercenter.com, C-E-N-T-E-R-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. And the masterclass I mentioned is hiringmasterclass.com. All right, that'll do it for this podcast as always. Thanks everyone for listening. And please subscribe to We Need Another Meeting on your favorite podcast app. Check us out at weneedanothermeeting.com. And don't forget to leave us some reviews. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.